Hello and welcome to episode three of Matches and the Other Guy, the podcast where Kevin and I just sit outside my home down in Lake Wiley in Charlotte and just have a chat. We never really know the direction of our conversations and where they're going to go, but that doesn't really matter, I don't think. And one thing that was has become apparent over the last couple of um, podcasts that we've done, Kevin, is I never know what we're going to talk about. You have a topic in mind. <laughs> Not that we ever really stick to, <laughs> stick to it very much anyway. It gets us started. It gets us started. So to get us started, what are we talking about today? Well, I had a bit of a curiosity, especially in, in the situation we're all in right now and things that we're kind of missing and, and looking forward to doing again once uh, things get back to, quote, normal, is I miss going to live concerts and such, which uh, made me think, uh, what was uh, some of your concert experiences as a younger man or maybe your first one oh, or some that, some that really stuck out and uh, that have stayed with you all these years? Yes. Well, you used to go to a fair number of concerts, actually. It was a... My, my friends and I really liked music. I mean, young folk always like music, right? It, it kind of forms your identity as oh, a teenager, absolutely. I think it does. And um, some of the best concerts were actually at Loughborough University, which Loughborough University at the time was not a particularly big concern. Now Loughborough University has grown to become this great icon of um engineering excellence in England and also sports, track and field sports. Um, but at the time when I was, I was a young man, it was nowhere near that. Uh, but they used to have at the student union every week, almost invariably, would be a band playing there. And it was a very oh, small weekly, venue. Weekly, that's great. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. And of course, it was very affordable to get in. It was just around the corner. So the whole thing was very attractive. Uh, but I would say one of the, one of the most memorable concerts that I went to see was at Birmingham at the NEC, the, uh, the National Exhibition Centre, a big, big place down in Birmingham, about 50 miles away, thereabouts, I would say, from where I was living. But it was Mike Oldfield doing Incantations. Oh, really? The, the, the album, yes. And what no, I'm not it, familiar with him at all, so oh, you'll, really, you'll well, have to educate me. Mike, Mike Oldfield is best known for Tubular Bells, which was the music used oh, on okay. The Exorcist, which, I'm, as you're a movie fan, yes. uh, the opening music to The Exorcist was Tubular Bells from Mike Oldfield. And wasn't Tubular Bells the album that launched Richard Branson? Exactly. That's uh, the one yes, that yes. shot him straight into where he is now? Yes, well, Branson, Branson found Oldfield... And uh, that's right. That's where that relationship began. Gotcha. Uh, but Mike Oldfield is uh, is a musician far more than he is a, a vocalist. There are vocals on his some of his work, not on all of them. Um, but Tubular Bells, of course, launched him and Branson to great success. And what year was that? Do you remember well, when, when was that was released? I'm going to say it was early 70, like 72, 73, Sounds somewhere, about right. somewhere around there. Yeah. Um, and then the album, I, I might be wrong, but I think his next album after that was this this long, I think it was a double album called Incantations. Okay. And um, just mesmerizing music. But it was very, very rare for Mike Oldfield to do concerts. And he was doing this concert in, in Birmingham, so we went to Birmingham to see it. But what's, what makes the concert stand out to me was on every seat in the stadium was a piece of uh, full scat paper, A4 uh, in England. I'm not sure, you know, just a regular 
printer-sized piece of paper you'd get in the States. Okay. So what is that size? Just letter, letter, letter size. size. Letter, letter size. size. Absolutely, yes. It's called a, A4 in England and letter, letter that's size. Right, that's right. Get, I see it on my computer when right, you can right, right. choose sometimes There's a very small the size difference, actually, but that's, you know, by the by. I think A4 is, is, is annoyingly just slightly bigger than letter size. Just so we can never get them to yeah. line up properly. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Just, just to make, enough. Yeah, just to keep us just separated. Enough. Yeah, yeah, just enough. Just to create a problem. Um, but anyway, on this sheet of paper on each seat, it had been printed with a layout of a paper airplane. It had the fold marks to make a paper airplane or a paper dart, if you like. Okay. Fold here, fold here, fold here. So you have your instructions. And so everybody had uh, their own paper plane. And as the as the concert began, the stadium was the stadium was just full of these paper planes flying around as people were finding them. Then they picked one up off the floor that somebody had thrown towards them and fly it back. So right through the concert was this wonderful sort of air display of of paper darts. That's why it sticks out more than the music, but the concert was terrific. How about you? Uh, well, actually, my very first uh, first one was in 86, yeah. and it was Simple Vines. You remember Simple yes, Vines? Yeah, they, yeah. They had just, it was early 86, so they were coming off their success of being on the Breakfast Club soundtrack, which, you know, they'd been around before that. Yeah. But uh, this was in, in Florida, and uh, I was kind of a late bluebird at concerts. I lo- I've gone to so many, 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 many since, but this was my junior year in high school. And uh, one of the guys um, I worked with, he wanted to go go see him down in Tampa. We lived in Leesburg, which was just above Orlando. So it was a little bit of a drive to Tampa. But uh, we remember we went in his custom VW Bug down there. And it was at the Curtis Hickson Center or Convention Center or whatever, which is actually, in, in old rock terms, some people will know that. That's where Janis Joplin was arrested oh, wow. in 1969 in, in right? Tampa. So the same, the same building. So here it was about 17 years later, but uh, famous for famous for I don't think the build I think the building is probably long demolished, but that was my first uh, first concert ever with Simple Minds, mm. and then really I guess technically you always say well who did you ever see first well since they had an opening act yes actually I saw the call first because okay. the call opened up and they were they were known for that that song and the walls came down. It was played fairly regularly in early MTV. It was a black and white video, really good. Yeah. Um, in fact, they're kind of an underrated band. You know, the people that know them love them. But Michael Bean was the singer and did phenomenal work. And uh, he was actually in The Last Temptation of Christ. He was in the movie. He was cast as an actor in that. Oh, yeah. uh, he's since passed on. But so I saw The Call uh, with Simple Minds back in 86 was the first one. Yes. One of my most memorable concerts at um, Leicester which is another fairly close town to where I grew up, um, at a place called De Montford Hall. De Montford Hall was the big concert hall in Leicester. Uh, and it was Blondie. Oh, yeah. I saw a lot of bands, a lot of bands. Um, what year would this have been? I've got to say again, it was mid-80s, 83, 84, yeah, still somewhere fair, around yeah. there. Yeah, they've been around for a little yeah. while, but still. It was Parallel Lines. Okay. Era, yep. Um, and remember, I've just said that the town is is pronounced Leicester, uh-huh. and it's spelled L-E-I-C-E-S-T-E-R. <clears throat> Excuse me, but pronounced Leicester. And when Debbie Harry came on the stage, you know, there's a great round of applause. Hooray! The lights came up, and you know, the band's on stage, and Debbie Harry walks on, and she's looking absolutely spectacular. And she walks to the microphone. And she says, "Good evening, Leicester." Boom. You know, crickets. Yeah. <laughs> the what now? But once we got over that, the concert was great. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, 
And you, t- you, you, you have to feel for these acts. They oh, go, go course, from city yeah. to city, and they never know where they yeah. are. And I'm sure half the time they <laughs> literally have in bold letters <laughs> on the spots. stage, Cincinnati. <laughs> yes. So they don't yeah. say, hey, hello, yeah. Cleveland, you know, or whatever. Yeah. But, yeah, I had the, uh, well, the same similar experience One happened one time at a show with uh, – it was a multi-show, but it was uh, Brett Michaels with Poison came out, and he, he, he thanked the radio station for, for putting on the show. Well, it was a totally different radio station. <laughs> but he did come back out a few minutes later and own up to it. He said, hey, it was my fault. And he had the banner of the actual radio station that did put it on and said, we really want to thank these guys. And he, he, he handled it so well that, that it, was, it was just kind of funny for everyone. I think, I think that those sort of events that happen like that, the spontaneity of events and the errors that inevitably result of them. It's just real life. It's just happening. And to me, that sums up what we're trying to achieve here with our podcast and inviting you, the listener, to sit alongside us and have this conversation with us down at down at the lake is when we when we you know going off topic now slightly, but I don't think it matters, is when we dreamt up the idea of having this little podcast the, the one thing that we both agreed on instantly was we're not going to overproduce it we're going to try and do it in one take unless some crazy noise gets in the way exactly um and we're bound to make mistakes and occasionally our facts are going to be wrong and questionable but that is what wikipedia and google's for but when folks are having a chat around the table be it here at the lake or in a coffee shop or in the pub or wherever it would be you know, not everything is correct and we all make mistakes. And uh, so that happens in real life. It happens certainly with us and it happens in real life. And concerts are one of those things. If folks oh, yeah. make mistakes, you just, you know, it's real life. Don't make well, mistakes. Well, I that. think it adds to the event rather than seeing it just the production of how they have it planned all. We were, uh, gosh, one, I was up in Baltimore. Oh, late 90s, mid, mid to late 90s, and was seeing Cheap Trick in, okay. a, in a fairly small venue. Right. Um, and uh, Rick Nielsen forgot the lines to She's Tight. <laughs> he just kind of stopped mid, midway and went, of course the well, I forgot the lines. Out. <laughs> but, uh, you know, yeah, then we went right back into something else. Yeah. But, hey, you know, I still remember that. It was a great show. And on top of that, I always remember that, that one spot of that. Yeah. But uh, it's funny you mentioned Blondie, too, because that was actually another one of my great moments uh, I remember in, in attending concerts was, in this was '97, okay. I believe it was. Um, I lived in, I was living in the DC area, and one of the radio stations put on, I think they were WHFS, and they put on what they called the HF Festival. Okay. And they would do it annually at uh, RFK Stadium where the Redskins play yeah, or played. Yeah, yeah, used to um, play, yeah. And it was an all day show. I mean, you they probably started at 9, 10 in the morning. And there was bands on the main stage in the in the stadium all day. Plus, there were sideshows. Like you could go out and see a small show on a side stage outside, and tons of vendors. I mean, but that was part of it. I mean, they paid for it and and all that. But it was the first time Blondie had performed together since the early to mid '80s. Mm. They reunited at that show, and I was kind of down front on the floor and got to see him walk out and say, you know, hi, you remember us? And I was like, yes, we do. <laughs> yeah, and you. so I got, I could say I was yeah. there when, you know, that was, very, yeah. that was a neat experience. And it was just a great day. Lots of great fun and everything. I get the impression that the way that the music industry has organically progressed over the decades, bands that disbanded have found new life by touring again. Like putting out fresh music is difficult because, as we all know, no one seems to want to pay for music any longer. Yeah, it's a um, whole it's a whole other thing putting out a quote album or whatever. It's, yeah, it's, it's it's almost a different beast I, I, again. And it's not my industry, but what I what I see is almost like bands 
put out an album as promotion for the the coming tour where when I was growing up as a kid in England and I'm sure the same for you in the States um, the album was the big thing and, and, and the launch of a new album was a was huge news oh yeah you go From, to the record right, store yeah, you immediately, and you release yeah, so you it needed, and, yeah. you, you want to own that album and the touring of the band would come on the on the tail of that as as promotion for the album but now it's kind of turned 180 degrees round where the album has become the promotion for the tour oh yeah and I'm sure a lot of those bands that we grew up with such as Blondie when they reunited was hey there's this fresh life out there let's get out and tour yeah and the, you know the, the quality ones the new generation will discover them and you know next thing you see they're getting into their dad's music or mom's music or heck even grandparents you know they're maybe what their grandparents listen to <coughs> now they're really picking up on yeah. it so the quality remains after all the years for sure one of the other Bands, great bands that I've seen, and I've seen them a couple of times. The Who, and uh, I think both of the times that I've seen the Who, um, once in England and once in the States, I think they were both farewell tours. This is the absolute tour. The absolute last farewell tour number three out of eight. <laughs> exactly that. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, uh, but but just terrific, uh, wonderful live act. Uh, I think Daltrey's voice is almost shot now. There's not an awful lot left. Um, but Pete Townsend's you know, swinging arm, windmill yep. arms on his guitar. And yeah, that's there's always that, icon of rock and roll right there. There's always that uh, potential that you know Townsend's going to smash the guitar up. I don't think I've ever seen him smash the guitar up. But once, I can remember, I can't remember which track he was playing, once you could sense in him there was a great sense of frustration building in him. He couldn't mm. quite get a chord right or something wasn't uh -huh. working. It was, it was off night. And I was close enough to the stage to kind of see this building. You know, I thought, oh, what do you mean? <laughs> He's very likely to smash the guitar off in rage, um, but he didn't. He handed at the last minute, I sort of to try and calm himself down. He handed the guitar off to a roadie and got a fresh guitar and tried again, and it, it calmed him. But yes, music, um, music. Yeah, I was wondering, you know, like, like, like you mentioned with the gentleman that did Tubular Bells and stuff like that. Being mm -hmm. in England, you probably had an opportunity to see different acts, kind of that we got to see here, because some of them, you know, really didn't make their tours cross over and so you probably had a unique more some unique experiences to what we had here yes but i think that that was the same in both ways i suspect there was an awful lot of bands in the states um again going back in time now because the way the world has progressed with social media and the internet is there's such a crossover all of a sudden the world is a much smaller place but uh, in the 60s 70s and 80s i'm sure there were bands that were Big names over in the states that we kind of kind of aware of, mm. um, and vice versa. Uh, I remember seeing the Jam a couple of times in England, which were a huge band, and I suspect they weren't. A, you know, I suspect they were. I want to say a, I may have heard of them, yeah, but exactly. it, I can't say for sure. Yeah, they were. The Jam came around. They were. They. They. They sort of. They were. I can't say they were at the forefront of the of the punk revolution, and they weren't particularly a punk band, but they. There was an awful lot of bands that got launched at that time. Um, I think of which Blondie, actually talking about Blondie, um, wouldn't really describe Blondie as being a punk band, but they, they sort of caught that wave, that wave of sound. They were, they they were, yeah, they were very much a crossover punk new wave yes, yeah, mix. Anything coming out of CBGB's in New yeah. York in, the, in like 77 was like the heyday of all that, them coming up with the Talking Heads. But you know, they also have the Talking Heads, but they have the Ramones. And they'd have television, and they'd have all these different, you yeah. know, Patti Smith, and all this coming out of that just 
amazing time in New York City. Yeah. But it is funny, you know, what we have over here, what came over eventually and, and became the greatest bands of all time were all English, you know, the Beatles, the Stones, the Who, Zeppelin. So that's a lot of influence coming over. Pink Floyd, did you mention Pink Floyd? I did not, but there's another one, exactly. Yeah, yes, it's... Uh, I, can't, I can't really explain why there were so many incredible bands that, were, that came about at that time, you know, but the, 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 you're absolutely right. There were some massive numbers, like you say, the, the massive bands, the Stones, for example. One band, which I'd love to see but never have seen them live, uh, is the Stones. The Stones, I've really? Seen. Have you seen them? I've seen them yeah. twice, actually. Wow. The Voodoo Lounge tour and the uh, 40, what is it, 40 Licks tour. So those two, yeah. yeah. I was watching uh, the Martin Scorsese movie, actually, the other day, which, uh, when was that filmed? I want to say it was like around 2000 from New York. Was it two concerts they did in New York and Scorsese did a sort of amalgamation of those two concerts? I'm not sure on that one. Well, no. we'll have to, that's what Google and the Internet's for, but... Uh, I, that's really the first concert and I watched it twice I thought wow and my takeaway from watching the band playing albeit only you know um, via the movie every single member of, of the Stones they're almost perfect caricatures of themselves oh, yeah. <laughs> you know especially Keith Richards I mean Keith, when you watch Keith Richards he, he looks and sounds and acts if you wanted to create a character of Keith Richards, it'd be Keith Richards. You couldn't do better than that, yep. could you? <laughs> and then Charlie just sits back there, yeah, little, little yeah, like, like yeah. tracksuit zipped all the way up, and yeah. he just he just plays and is quietly watching everything yeah. going on. And he'll, you know, I understand he's that way in life too. Once a tour is over, he goes back to his little cottage I can see somewhere that. somewhere in England, I guess it is, yeah. and lives a very quiet life. What a co- what a contrast between him and dear old Keith Moon when he was alive playing with the Who. When you look at two drummers, oh yeah, you know Moon just Mooney. <laughs> I mean, I, Mooney, like I knew him. Mooney, just absolutely out of control, seemingly all the time. Right? I mean, if it was one, you had to pick one character that was breaking hotels room, rooms up and throwing the TV out of the window. It'd be Keith Moon. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I think there's been long talk about somebody, you know, doing a biopic movie about him. But I've kind of been looking forward to it, but it hasn't shown up yet. So hopefully they will. <laughs> we'll actually it, get that done. Was it Keith Moon that, that tried to organise? in his home that would have a permanent party happening so that when he went away on tour the party was financed so it would keep happening keep you know for days and days so when he came back he could just go back home and there was a party unfolding because he was financing it yeah. you know i wouldn't yeah. doubt it i would yeah. not doubt it great right. you know great two great drummers but what completely different contrasting personalities there. yeah and it's funny i'm the opposite i've never gotten to see the who yeah so and you know now there's you know not much much not much of the gentleman left so yeah not uh, much of the poor old Daltrey's voice as I mentioned before you know but boy you know he's a, he had a his career isn't over is it I could say he had a great career it's still his career is still happening but yeah he's paid for it with his with his voice that's mm-hmm. for sure well and the and the one that I I always of all the shows I've ever been to and there've been many many great ones uh, the one the one act I missed or hate that I missed was Bowie. I really, mm-hmm. really would love to have gone back and seen Bowie. Yeah. So if you right. So if you could pick one band, <clears throat> you know, with a you know with a, with the magic of podcast and the internet, if you could <laughs> if you could zoom back in time to see one band, it'd be Bowie. 
Probably, because yeah. I have seen a lot of the others. Yeah. I, I have seen the Stones, uh, seen Elton a number of times. Uh, Billy Joel is one of, my, one of my favorites. I've seen him numerous times, and still, you know, he's always put on a fantastic show from yeah. beginning to end. It's just great. Um, uh, I think for me, it would be the Beatles. I would, I would love to see uh, to have seen the Beatles. Yeah, it would have been great so, to see him on those yeah. early days. Yeah. But yeah, of course, yeah, I mean, that's what I look at. I look at the ones I, you know, you can't regret the ones that you weren't alive to see. It's like, right. you know, oh, I wish I'd have seen you know, sure. them in 1960. Well, I wasn't alive in 64. Yeah, so let's not, let's not linger on that. I probably could have seen Elvis had I had a mom that was like obsessed with him right. in those mid 70s. I would have been very little, but she probably could have drugged me to that show. Yeah. And I wish I could have. But uh, obviously he died in you know 77 and I was all of eight years old at that time. So. Well, the good thing about the Beatles is they are—they have been so well documented over the years that even though we haven't seen them, and countless tens of thousands, I'm sure now, would still love to see them, you can go back and see those concerts. And um, the quality of the restoration on the early footage is incredible. The Beatles anthology programs, for example, there's so much stuff out there that I think we all... We all we all seem to know the Beatles, even though we've never seen them, right? Mm-hmm. Never saw them live. But well, the technology isn't too far. I mean, they they've been doing it for a number of years. Where they do the hologram type things. I don't think it'd be too long before they may actually do a tour like that, where it's a whole holo- it's it's seeing a, a Beatles show live, and it's going to look three dimensional on the stage, and you're seeing just it's a recording of what it was, yeah. but you kind of are there. Wow! I wouldn't doubt if they don't do a whole show or series of shows with somebody like that. I think the nearest I've got to that experience would be in Vegas seeing the Beatles Love show. Okay. Um, Reenact you know, people that personify. Well, it's really a circus uh, Cir- Cirque du Soleil show. Oh, okay. So gotcha. lots of um, acrobatic dancing and you know, visual effects and whatever, but uh, it's a show that's, that uses Beatles music and Beatles soundtracks and the guys talking and they they, they with a wonderful sound system, sort of have all four talking from different points in the auditorium, you know, and just silhouettes of them. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, yes, I, I agree with you. I think before much longer, the idea of putting a show together with with folks uh, that are long gone, unfortunately, not all of them, but the ones that are missing, you know, to have them back on stage is, is a possibility, especially when I keep hearing about the technology now, um, through computer technology to you, you can make anybody say anything and give them correct facial expressions and movement of the mouth to you you, you know you, you could you could take anybody and make them say anything and produce a video of it and it'd look perfect yeah, yeah. well there's all sorts of terrifying possibilities exactly the yeah. truth but what, what's going to be real and yes, factual yes, all, anymore uh, seemingly it's almost impossible to tell the difference so i'm, I'm no expert again on that but to, to use that technology in a good way to reproduce what you're describing you know would be would be great yeah boy i'd be first in line if there's a possibility of a that you know that made me think at the, show. at the very end of uh when star wars they did rogue one and it, it leads into you know it's supposed to immediately happen right before a new hope and right. they had they had the you know the young princess leia yes. come in and that was obviously digitally done yeah and it's it's her just before a new hope would, would begin and that was pretty kind of eerie in a way but, yes. but they did it well yeah yes they did i mean yes they did the best job possible i like to believe that i must say that one particular scene i know exactly the scene you mean where right at the end of rogue one leia turns round and faces the camera it just looked a little bit 
to me. And I wished, if, if, if it was down to me, I would have had her simply not turning around so you just saw the back of her. And leave, yeah, and that's probably Because you know who it is. You know who it is. On. There's no question yeah. of who it could be. But I do think, I think Rogue, Rogue One is a terrific movie. And uh, the ending with Vader just going crazy, you know, to try to get hold of that information as it's being given towards Leia, yeah. uh, uh, you know, uh, with his lightsaber, I think is... I, I wish that they extended that scene even more, you know, with, with, with really showing Vader absolutely 100% angry and, mm. you know, ripping the sh ship to pieces, trying to get to it before it was too late. But I do wish, yes, in hindsight, I, I think they would have been better off not trying to show Leia's face. But, hey, that's just me. Yeah, uh, yeah. We'll, we'll have a discussion one day maybe about sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> For but, another day, yeah. Um, yeah, on, uh, well, what was your first show when you came to the States then? Do you remember? Or did you see, did you happen to see any while you were working in the day? Of course, I'm sure you all are just so booked up, it's hard to get away and do anything. Oh, the, in, uh, in, uh, in racing, you mean? Yeah, no, or, or when you're on holiday afterwards or anything like that. No, I did, and really, in my time of my time of uh, racing in the pit lane with Benetton, I can't ever remember there being any acts playing like there is now. You know, uh -huh. it's a relatively, relatively new, relatively new. Um, yeah, like I would always, you know, if I was going to be in a town for whatever or something, I'd kind of look around while I'm here. Is there yeah. anything I need to go see or something like that? So yeah. occasionally it would happen on business. I'd be on a trip somewhere and there'd be a show that night and I'd slip out and go and stuff like that. We just talked about we just talked about the Beatles. And I'm going to say the first show, most memorable show probably I've seen in the States is McCartney. Really? Yeah. Here in right here in Charlotte. A few years ago now, but um, yeah, I've never I've never seen I've never seen any member, you know, of the Beatles back in the day, Harrison or. McCartney's show was, I mean, he's McCartney, he's never going to, whatever he does is fine, right? You can't, you're never going to, you're never going to fault him. <laughs> you know, how can you, I mean, I remember um, Paul McCartney himself, there was a discussion about the White Album. I think this might be on the anthology, anthology show, I'm not really sure, can't remember quite now. Uh, and someone asked him about the White Album, and, and McCartney's answer is something like, hey, it's the White Album, like... <laughs> You know, you it's, perfect, it's perfection. Yeah. Move on. <laughs> I just leave it at that. You know, you're not. You, you don't need. I don't need to justify it. It's the White Album. Mm -hmm. And really, when you see when you see McCartney, it's the same thing. Like, you, you, there's nothing to justify. You can't you can't critique it. Really, it's it's McCartney playing on stage. But what I remember about it, and I, it is something. Well, I'm, okay, I'm going to critique him here, but in in a very positive way. Um, he had some of his guitars with him from playing in the Beatles. Really? Yes. And only at the end of selected tracks did he say, well, you know, you might remember this guitar, I used it, you know, blah, blah. And I wish he'd have done more than that and say, hey, I'm, this guitar that I'm going to use now was one that I used you know, back in 1964 or 1965 and let's see what it sounds like, you know, so you're sort of keyed up and ready to listen to it. Yeah. Right? But nonetheless, it was still wonderful. But I do wish he'd expanded on that a little more and told us, told us the audience, what particular guitar he was going to use on a particular track. True, true. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. that reminds me is, is, you know, in the late 70s, I was like huge into Kiss. Kiss was just such a larger-than-life thing, you know, never mind the music, everything that went along with them. But years later, I found out, and people in the guitar world and musicians will appreciate this, is that, you know, Ace Frehley actually played a vintage Les Paul. That was like a 1959 that he was playing, but he got that sound out of it. And I think that a lot of the guitars are crafted and coveted for their unique sounds yeah. that you can't get with the modern ones, or even then being, you know, 20 years later, he was still, you know, wanting to play one that gave him just the right sound. It was probably a certain 
time and the way they were made that gave him what he wanted. Yes, I, I would love to. That's very interesting you should say that because I've heard exactly the same and I would love to know, uh, but I'm no electronics expert, but I would love to know what it is about electronics from an era. And you can't say that it's because they were using valve technology because there was no valves in the guitar, uh-huh. right? So I, mean, I wonder what it was in particular that made that an audiophile would say, for example, oh, yeah. oh, you've got to have a valve amp. You know, there is no alternative. It's like vinyl records. Oh, my goodness, you've got to listen to vinyl. There's no substitute for it. Well, maybe my hearing is too damaged through, you know, too much Formula One motor racing, but I can't really hear the difference between a CD, between a CD you know, and a vinyl record. Can you? Are you a big fan of vinyl? No, I mean, I, I went with the technology. I left from vinyl, playing vinyl in the late 70s on my little, like, flipped up, almost like like a suitcase record player yeah. to, you know, cassettes you know, early early 80s. I was probably in junior high. I got my first cassettes, which I think were Asia and the Go-Go's. Yeah, those were my first two cassettes. And then you did those up until I, st- I definitely remember buying my first CD. We were in college and one of my the people lived down the in the dorm, two doors down. And we just kind of hung with them. Yeah. So we were always in their room. It was just kind of the place. They had a good TV and stereo uh, sound and everything. Well, one of the roommates that lived in that dorm room bought his first CD player. And he was so particular about it, like, you know, Make sure that you touch the buttons this way. He didn't want any any, any fingerprints left on them. But uh, so I was like, well, I bought my I bought my first CD then, and actually back to being first, it was uh, Simple Minds Live in the City of Light when they did a double album film yeah. or recorded live in Paris. So and I've still got it. It's still my first CD, but I never went back to vinyl and got the whole retro. I think people are really enjoying that now. I think there's a whole yeah, you know, seemingly so. I heard the other day, I read the other day that. This is the first year, 2020, that vinyl is outside. I did see that statistic, absolutely. D- uh, DVDs, uh, CDs, yeah. yeah. But then again, yeah. everything's downloaded now. So many are downloaded to buy anything physical is a yes. rare thing. Yeah, but I must admit, going back to the days of vinyl, and I'm certainly not saying, you know, vinyl, pish, pish, why bother? But I do, <laughs> do remember, having gone through the age of vinyl, we were also delighted to get away from it because vinyl was so fragile. Yeah, I mean, fragile and cumbersome. Yeah, and, all of that. Yeah. Um, my first DVD was Sergeant Pepper, and like you, I still have it. It's upstairs now. It's upstairs. Oh, in very this, good. Yeah, in this. Yeah, and I just remember buying that um, CD when it first first came out, and I had the I had the CD before I had a CD player. I had to get Sergeant Pepper when it was released. I got that. So, and then I went out and bought a CD player, which I probably only got, I only finally got rid of when I sold up my property in France to move over here because that was a time when everything had to go. Got yeah. to get rid of this stuff. I can't keep. Not going to take it with me. Yeah, yeah. But um, well, one of the biggest drawbacks too was you know you can't play a vinyl album in your car. So there was the eight tracks. I kind of skipped yeah. over those because I literally did. I never owned an eight track. Yeah, I no, think it was, you know, the technology, you know, was, I didn't have anything to play it on. So I just went straight from albums to cassettes. And But yeah, the, with eight tracks was the first time you could play something in the car yeah. other than the radio. And then the cassettes came along and obviously CDs and now everything's downloaded and you can use satellite and all that type of thing. Yeah. But that's another drawback. But part of it too was 
Please, let's little, not go back to when yes. <laughs> Let's not do that. Well, that little cheap record player I had was like almost a toy. And I'm, I'm thinking that thing was probably doing more damage to good albums than it was the reverse playing mm-hmm. albums on a good system. So that's another thing. I never had a good system to, to play them on when I did have them. Well, we were constantly changing the stylus. I do remember that. It was a sure, sure, a sure cartridge. And the sure stylus was the, was the things to use in England. And uh, we were... We, my my friends and I, we were replacing the styluses or styli uh, on our uh, cartridges once every couple of weeks, thinking that we were making a difference to the sound. I'm not ever sure we were. But again, now, you know, I know know that folks say vinyl, vinyl, there's nothing quite like vinyl. But again, I I think my hearing is just so damaged that I can't hear the difference. Because when I I put a CD on or... um, you know, an MP3 file, it sounds perfectly fine to me. I'm fine with it. Well, and I'd probably enjoy it if, on a great system if somebody had a great turntable and a mm. great, you know, setup and everything. It's probably amazing. It's just I'm not in that. That's not my thing. So I'm not going to go out and spend yeah. thousands upon thousands on getting a great system. But it would be neat to experience it at someone's house who really For has sure. a good setup. But, the rich uh, kids. I'll bring the albums I still have. And we'll po- go from the, there. The posh kids in our group, they would have direct drive turntables. They were the thing to have. Is it Garrod, I think? Garrod was, I think Gerard. My dad had one. I've still still got it, yeah. Yeah, so direct drive. Um, And if you remember, the ones I'm thinking of, they used to have a little stroboscope built onto the turntable. And there was um, a rheostat built into the turntable as well, where you could synchronize. (laughs) This is how crazy it was getting even then. You could synchronize the precise revolutions, the revs of the turntable, um, to put the um, stroboscope to make it appear static. And when you did that, it was precisely 33 and a third revs per minute. Okay. Uh, so you could, you know, you could vary the speed, but again, you know, seriously, really, I don't yeah. know. Ever well, I think, I think I everybody know. needs a hobby and there's those guys that know that stuff and know <laughs> that right. stuff. Yeah. And, and they I, probably are amazing at what they do and yes. have and, real, I, and they get a lot of enjoyment out of it. I don't, so I don't fault them. I don't lot of them at all. I mean, don't follow them at all. We all like different things. There are folks that buy classic cars and there are folks that buy Italian sports cars and they all do it for their own reasons. We like it because it's a hobby and I get it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not being critical of uh, the, the passion. Uh, again, I'm just thinking I can, I can never tell the difference. You know? I just want to put my hands up and say it's like the emperor's clothes. Like, to me, the emperor looks like he isn't wearing any clothes. That's all I'm mm-hmm. saying. <laughs> But yeah. it is funny to look back. I've mean, still got a few of my albums. I actually sold a few, some of them. But, you know, you'll see what the uniqueness was of what they were back then. You know, I had a couple of Kiss and, oh, soundtrack to The Spy Who Loved Me. I had that. Yeah. Uh, soundtrack to Smoking the Bandit, of all things. Uh, nothing wrong with that. Uh, Bob and Doug McKenzie, the, the uh, Great White North from SCTV. I had their comedy album. Uh, and at stuff the, like that. At the time, much unlike unlike now because of the physical size, but the album cover itself was a big part of the experience of buying the album. That that we've lost. That was no, a really, definitely, you know. really piece of art. It, literally a piece of art yeah. that you could enjoy. And there's an experience to buying something, putting it on, listening to it, looking at that for the first time. Flipping through the photographs if it was a big album. You know, yeah, remember the yeah. Who's... Liner quad- notes might be in it. Yeah, the Who's Quadrophenia had... You know, when you opened up the double album, there was the, the photograph book in there with about, I want to say there's probably 15 or so really cool photographs in there. I remember Led Zeppelin's In Through the Outdoor, The Inner Sleeve had that wonderful technology where if you had a wet paintbrush, you could just 
you just put a wet paintbrush over the the album sleeve, and different colours would come out. Really? Do you remember yeah, that no, technology? I don't rem- no. You know, it's like kids kids painting books were like that. The the, the colour pigment was was um, almost impregnated into the paper. So you'd see the sort of a silhouette drawing or a silhouette of whatever the whatever the design it was. But if the if you if you're a child or you had a paintbrush, you just dipped it in water and just gently rubbed it with water, the colours would come out of the paper. Wow, okay. And in through the outdoor uh, had I don't know if it was all of them or the first edition, but I remember having that one and. Uh, um, I, I, you know, I wanted to protect it. Like I'm, you know, we're all crazy about protecting things, like only playing the album once and recording it to cassette, so it never gets played again. Exactly. But I remember having that album cover and just dipping my, you know, dipping my finger in water and just rubbing one little corner. That wow, good gracious, it really will change colour if you painted it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's yeah. definitely what what was lost when you went to, obviously cassettes and even CDs were that much, you know, bigger. Yes. You just lost that grandeur of a great, a great, great album visual cover. or. Yeah, or rendering or photograph or whatever yeah. that has become iconic. So, yes, I'm thinking um, physical graffiti was the same way, right? If you the album cover for physical graffiti had the apartment building, like a brownstone apartment yep. building, and the inner sleeve had the letters Led Zeppelin physical graffiti, and when you slid the inner sleeve in they had the windows of the buildings cut out so you could see physical graffiti written within the windows of the oh, okay. apartment building. Yeah, yeah. again, probably something I never held in my hand mm. so I never got to, to see it. Yeah. Yes, albums. You're absolutely right, though. The biggest problem with albums is a little bit like books. It's the just the physical weight of them. If you ever needed to move apartment or move home or whatever, you know, the weight of books and the weight of music is the is the is the biggest thing to transport around? Yeah, and now now the whole idea is I don't have anything. Everything's in the cloud. I just pull it down <laughs> when I want to listen to it. I know, and I'm fine with that. Like I, I you know, we lived through that time. We enjoyed that time. Uh, but I, again, I I'm quite happy not to revert to the days of vinyl. Congratulations to the. I think great that the music industry is allowing it to happen and putting it out there as a as a potential if you want it, but. Uh, I'm more than happy to, you know, have have a thousand songs stored on my laptop as a, as an MP an MP3 yeah. file. Yeah. So yeah, that's some we've lost, but I think uh, you know we've seen a, a big uh, retro revival of it. But and those that enjoy, like I say, it's a great hobby for them. I think. Yeah. Well, Kevin, I think we should just about wrap up this conversation because we must be getting towards. What do we say our time limit is? Something like we wanted to keep these to around 40, 45 minutes, didn't we? Oh, we're somewhat <laughs> flexible, but you know, we want to keep we're keep very flexible. We're very flexible on everything. Hey, so thank you very much for joining us again for episode three of Matched and the Other Guy. Once again, uh, where did we start off with this? What were we talking about? Oh, Concert. bands, bands, and yeah, bands. Live, live music. Live music. Yeah. What we well, we went back to music by the end. We kind of stayed on target for much of it, didn't we? Yeah, I think we, we went down a Star Wars path for a short while, but yeah, got back. It's, yeah. Well, it's much warmer today down by the lake. When we're recording episode two, and it was it was fairly late at night when we're recording that one, it was freezing cold by the end of that. Recording. I'd say we're going to have very different, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, ups and downs what we're yeah. having having to wear here on the porch. It's, so. a, it's a beautiful day out here on it the It is lake. gorgeous. Hey, we're going to sign off. Thanks very much for joining us, and join us again for episode four. Kevin? See you next time. Bye-bye.